0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's good to be in worship with you. Before we move into our worship service, I'll announce three things briefly. First is that we're going to have a brief congregational meeting, which is actually going to be the the last part of the congregational meeting that we started last week. So we'll do the same thing as we did last week. We'll take a five-minute break after the morning worship service uh, for restrooms and to uh, get your children from the nursery if necessary. And then we'll convene to finish that uh, church business from that meeting. Um, After all that's done this morning, um, after the worship service is over, and if you're not a member of this church, um, you can go immediately over to the Family Life Building, where we'll have lunch available uh, for everyone, uh, and we're going to be doing our Rally Day presentation and celebration uh it's a lot of different things but we hope you all can join us for that join us as soon as you can over across the street for lunch and a presentation time together for that lastly the wick executive council meeting is not meeting today that meeting has been canceled That's all we have for announcements. Uh, God brings us into worship by His Spirit, and He is so good to us to bring us here uh, to be in worship together. So take a few moments as the music plays to gather your hearts and your minds as we go into worship.
1: We all please stand for our call to worship? Today's call to worship comes from 1 Samuel 2, 7 through 8. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. Now remain standing and let's turn to uh, hymn number 347 for our initial... Please bow your heads with me. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our many blessings. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, that you sent to absolve us of our many sins and our faults. Lord, just be with us on this day. God, help our church body to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have given us. Help us in all our interactions with one another to have humble and gentle hearts Grant us patience for one another and the ability to communicate with one another in love. Grant the body of Christ unity. May we walk walk humbly with you. Go with us as we start our pastoral search to find the one you have chosen to lead us. And now join me to close in unison with our Lord's instruction as to how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven
0: We're going to take a moment now to pray silently and individually, and then I'll move us into a corporate, uh, a time of corporate prayer, while I'll lead us in prayer. Uh, but use the Lord's prayer as a way in which to fellowship with God um, during this time. Um, come to God with the sins that weigh heavy on your mind. Uh, come to Him with your needs, uh, your requests, those things that you want to see happen. Um, maybe even for God to transform you in some way. But let's take a few moments now to um, have a moment in prayer where uh, we're acknowledging uh, that God is in control and he is our authority in this life. And this might be one of the few times in the week where you get an opportunity to do this, to simply pray and be with your Father who's in heaven. So let's move into prayer and then I'll lead us. Dear God, you are worthy of our praise and worship today and this week. God, you hear us when we pray, and you answer us. And God, you make the plea from Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. God, we have all sinned in thought, word, and deed, and none of us has made it through this week with a clean record, and some of us are even deeply ashamed or even fearful of you. But Lord, you're the God of all mercy, of compassion, and forgiveness, and you call us back to yourself. We pray you would make us return to you, Lord, that you may have compassion on us, because you will abundantly pardon, and you will forgive us. You say, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God, we can't fathom how you love us this much. We just know you do in the sending of your Son, Jesus, for us. God, we're thankful that your ways are not our ways. God, would you bless this church and make us a people who have been forgiven by grace through faith alone. Make us a humble people who have been loved by a wonderful God. Help us to love others in the ways in which you have loved us. Would you go before us in this rally day uh, lunch and presentation and activities and games, and make that a time of great joy, of good company, and a building up of your body. Go before the pulpit committee and give them wisdom and unity as they begin their work after today. Lord, help me and the elders and deacons and others, all the other people that you have called to lead in this church to minister to your people well during this time of change and transition. Or well, we are thankful to be here this morning, and we ask that your Spirit would lead us through this worship service, that you would cause us to uh, leave this morning um, more encouraged, more challenged, uh, more convicted by your Spirit as we open up your Word. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. please pray with me. Lord, use these tithes and offerings to bless your church. Lord, we give just a small amount, and yet you multiply it, and you do so much. God, we we thank you for this opportunity to give, and we ask that you would give us hearts that are not reluctant to give or averse to giving, but hearts that are growing in a desire and love to give away all that you have given us, uh, for it's all from you. Lord, thank you for this time And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would stay standing, we'll sing May the Mind of Christ My Savior, which is hymn number 644, hymn 644. Let's continue worshiping with this hymn. You may be seated. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 1, and we'll be beginning at verse 16. Mark chapter 1, verse 16, as we move through the Gospel of Mark. Up until today, we've looked at just a handful of verses, getting a preview of what's to come, and a little bit about the identity of Jesus Christ as our Messiah and Savior. And now, Mark's Gospel is all about Jesus on the move, moving from one place to another quickly, it seems, and as, the, as we get closer to Christ's time in Jerusalem and to his crucifixion and death and resurrection, time will speed up. For now, Jesus is going to both show us how he is the good news and how he treats others and what he says. And he's going to preach the good news about himself and the kingdom of God. Let's read Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 16. This is the word of the Lord. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his, t- at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who holds the most authority in your life? Uh, Who is that person who, if they call you, you will drop everything and respond to? Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your spouse or your boss or a sibling or friend. Mark's aim here in this set of passages is to show us that Jesus has our authority. In fact, he has authority over all of reality, over the physical world, over the spiritual world. And he shows us what the proper response to is, what the proper response to Jesus is. So I have two points for us that we'll move through briefly. The first is that Jesus has authority over all of reality. And the second point is Jesus helps us follow him. Jesus has authority over all of reality, and Jesus helps us follow him. Let's look at the first Jesus has authority over all of reality. As we move through this passage, you'll see the different areas that Jesus is expressing his authority over. Mark makes the point quickly and clearly with these fishermen who hear and respond to the call of Jesus. Jesus is passing along the Sea of Galilee, which I've actually been to in real life, and it's a beautiful lake And uh, when I was there, there it was blue skies, 65 degrees, no wind. I mean, it was a majestic day when we were there. Um, This lake is 13 miles long. It's got a small mountain range along the outside. And I'll always remember that this is the place where I skipped a rock, the furthest I've ever skipped a rock in my life. The water was so still And the rocks were so perfect. um, I'll always remember that. It's worth noting that the fishermen Jesus calls here were most likely not the bumbling fools or the people that we see in a lot of picture Bibles um, as being kind of ragged fishermen. Uh, They had, at the time, most likely more than 13 docks for fishing at the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was known for its fishing business, and the business was good. They sourced fish across several different countries. So if you were a fisherman here at the Sea of Galilee, most likely you were good at what you were doing, and you were well-trained, and you were part of a, a good team and even a good business. And so the men that Jesus calls had a real life and identity as fishermen. They had real family that they were leaving behind, but they heard the call of Jesus and immediately they started following him. And Mark doesn't give us any responses. They simply drop their nets, they stop what they're doing, and they follow Jesus. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And here Jesus is giving a call as well as a promise to these men. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I will equip you and prepare you for everything that I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to uh, illustrate this more when we get to it in the second point with Peter's story. But these men, these fishermen, recognized Jesus' authority as the Messiah, his supernatural authority, and they understood it, and they followed him right away. Next, Jesus and his, he shows us his authority in the next most logical place, which is the synagogue. And synagogues were like small churches for Jewish men to come and worship together. And each synagogue had a a ruler, but the ruler wasn't responsible for all of the teaching. The ruler was responsible for the upkeep of the building and uh, the people to help and all that kind of stuff. The people who would teach would be members of the synagogue, traveling teachers. It would be the lay leadership teaching. So that's why Jesus can come in. And he actually gets an opportunity to teach. He immediately, as Mark says, starts teaching. And verse 22 says they were astonished at his teaching as one who had authority and not a scribe. Scribes were experts in the Old Testament, in the Torah. They could explain and expound on the Bible from their formal training. They were some of the most well-educated people. Jesus was immediately shown to have some kind of authority that was not present with the scribes. Where the scribes pointed back to the word of God, Jesus simply points to himself and to his father as his source, as his authority. And then we read that just as soon as we see his authority as a teacher, Of God's word. We witness his authority over the spiritual realm. And then he's going to move into the physical realm. But read with me in verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. I think it's fascinating that the first person to confess the true identity of Jesus is an unclean spirit, is a demon. Demons know who Jesus is because Jesus is a part of their world as well, right? The spiritual world. Humans in the Gospel of Mark are putting together the pieces of the identity of Jesus slowly But surely, in some cases, the demons already know. They already know exactly who Jesus is, what he's coming to do, and they're terrified of him. In verse 27, we read, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. It's worth noting early on in in Mark and looking at some of the Reformed tradition and teaching on this aspect of Mark, the demonic activity. Um, There are about two general camps of thinking on this, which is one group of people uh, believe that demons and demonic activity was a particular characteristic of the early church. When God was building his church with his apostles, and the gospel was going out, it was a mark of the early church, but has since ceased. So that was just a, a time in history. And then you have uh, another group of people who believe that this kind of activity is still present today, uh, even in the Reformed tradition that this church is, is part of. Um, we don't have time to go into other traditions, other denominations. You all have different understandings and backgrounds and people that you know. Um, in, in my point of view and what I believe uh, pastors and scholars have researched and, and talked about, I think we see demonic activity kind of on the front lines of where the gospel is moving into where it hasn't been before, where the Holy Spirit is working in a way in which we hadn't seen it in the past. So we see the gospel and God moving in a place, and there we might see sort of an increased activity like we might see here, which is why we don't see or hear about this much in our experience here in Mississippi or in the U.S., if you want to think about this topic and read about it, you really have to research it. The Bible teaches us about spiritual demonic forces in such a way that God is always in control, and we have nothing to fear. Instead, we're called to be watchful, and as we, uh, many many of you know who R.C. Sproul is. Um, and he has some good things to say about this topic. He said uh, he said once that there's a, a danger in focusing on demonic forces so much that we let the daily temptation to sin kind of flourish and grow in our life. Or we blame everything on demonic influences when it was simply our own sinful desires leading us to do something and to sin. And so the Gospel of Mark once again pulls us out of our comfortable understanding of life and reality and says here is what's really going on and here is what Jesus is doing in this world. And it's more than we typically think about. Jesus has come not just to save and redeem sinners but to conquer and destroy all spiritual forces in opposition in every place. Um, If you... Are a doctor, or you know someone in the medical field. Uh, you have probably heard stories of uh, patients or doctors who have been in contact with someone who may have believed they were affected or oppressed by a demon or some kind of spiritual presence, only to be later diagnosed with some kind of mental disorder or health issue that was causing these things. I read an article. Uh, from 2016, from a newspaper in Washington, D.C. And it was about a psychiatrist who had 25 years of experience, and he had a relationship with with a church tradition that grew to a point where they would call him out to help them determine if someone in their church was either going through a, uh, had a mental illness that they could treat with, medical tools, or if this was more something spiritual that they could pray about and deal with in that way. I found this article fascinating. Obviously, I don't agree with everything in it, but this psychiatrist had a way of thinking. He was well-trained. He was sober-minded. He was humble, and he would go and help whoever would ask for his help, and he would come across uh, patients rarely, but not uh, he would have a few patients who he could not ascribe a medical diagnosis to and would let, them, uh, let the church kind of take over at that point. Um, it was clear to him that spiritual forces were at work. Though it was rare, he saw it, and the fact that that article was written and even published in a well-known newspaper in a large city uh, is fascinating to me because I think there is a curiosity uh, amongst most people about this kind of activity. In the case uh, this kind of thing raises your concern or this is something that you're fearful of, uh, I know Elizabeth and I have had many conversations about this topic, um, probably because... I'm a pastor, and I think about this all the time, but um, if this is something that you're thinking about or have thought about or concerned about, there's a lot of good news in our passage. Um, And the good news, part of it, is that Jesus is in charge. He's come to show and demonstrate his authority over every area of life. And those who he calls, he gives the Holy Spirit. And this will be kind of my last... A uh, few comments on this. R.C. Sproul, I want to read a quote from him. He said, The scriptures indicate that Satan can oppress us, assault us, tempt us, slander us, and accuse us. But a Christian who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit cannot be possessed by a demon. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. If a person indwelled by the Holy Spirit can at the same time be sovereignly controlled by an evil spirit, then our redemption is meaningless. In other words, the good news of Jesus is good news in that we have no enemies, spiritual or physical, that can have authority over us or control us when Jesus is here and with us. Jesus rules us. So today there's a risk to either ignore the spiritual realm, ignore the activity of demons, or there's the risk of saying they're responsible for everything and that we have them to blame. We cannot say the devil made us do something. When we are tempted, we are completely responsible for that moment in which we sin. If you're not a believer, I would say you ought to be far more concerned about your place before God and be far more fearful of God himself than anything that the spiritual realm would throw at you. There's more, much more to this than we have to talk about today. Uh, but I wanted to give us just this brief sort of introduction to this topic because it's going to come up again and again and again in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has authority over all of reality, and that is good news. We have nothing to fear. He is in control. Why does Jesus tell the demons to be quiet? Why, is, why does it seem like Jesus is being secretive? Again, this is a theme that's going to be picked up again and again in this Gospel of Mark. And I'll say this quickly. Jesus here is drawing from the character of the suffering servant in Isaiah. If you read about the suffering servant in Isaiah, you'll know that this servant is one who is humble, who is meek, who is quiet and works through God to be uh, the work that he does through the Spirit is is not um, loud. And so Jesus is drawing upon the messianic identity of the suffering servant and also trying to protect his identity so that people don't run off and claim that Jesus is something that he is not. He wants to guard against False understandings of who he is and what he's come to do. So he'll continue to, throughout this gospel, say, Be quiet. Don't talk to other people about what I just told you and what I did. Let me reveal myself in the timing that I have for you. So, whether spiritual or physical, Jesus shows us his authority over everything by his word, by his presence. Lastly, in this passage, he heals Peter's mother-in-law, and she immediately begins to serve them, serve the people around her. And I thought, as one commentator pointed out, this is really the only proper response to Jesus' healing and his calling in our life. It's to serve him, and it's to serve those around us. At sundown, which this passage notes, At sundown, the Sabbath is officially over and you can travel and bring your hurting and sick people to get help. At sundown, Jesus was healing and uh, casting out demons from a lot of different people. And I think Mark is just ending this grouping of passages showing us that Jesus is coming up against the forces of the spiritual world and the physical world. He was healing sicknesses that had their root in sin and had no place in the kingdom of God. And when spiritual forces would come up against him, he was simply casting them out. The kingdom of God was at work, and nothing could stand in his way. And what's wonderful is that Jesus, in his love and compassion, he is not simply healing people to heal them or casting out demons to show how great he is, but he's restoring people to life. He is healing them so that they can have life. He is casting out demons so that they can be in their right mind and hear him and follow him. So my second final and briefer point is that Jesus helps us follow him. Following Jesus in this life, it goes without saying, will lead us to unexpected places. It will lead us, he will lead us into unexpected experiences. I've had days where I'm standing in my kitchen telling God, I honestly don't know what to do right now, I just need you to help me. And this passage is a comfort to me, and I hope it's a comfort to you, because it makes me trust him, especially in those times. Follow me, he says. I have authority over the spiritual realm, over the physical realm, over my life. He says, follow me, and I will make you become what I want you to become. I will not ask you to do anything that I cannot help you do. One of my favorite people in the Bible, I think he is my favorite person, is Peter and in the Gospel of Mark, his name is Simon. It's the same person. Peter is called by Jesus to follow him here in our passage at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus says, follow me, and Peter says, well, he does. It's awesome that at Jesus' resurrection and at the end of the Gospel of John, different gospel, Jesus finds Peter here in the same place at the Sea of Galilee, fishing, doing the same thing that he was doing when Jesus originally called him to follow him. And Jesus makes the same call again. And what is so good about this full circle story is that this, when Jesus meets him again at the Sea of Galilee, this is Peter's probably lowest point in his life. This is after the fact that he denied Jesus three times. After he told Jesus that he would die for him. He is mourning Jesus' death. And he has gone back to what he knew how to do before he was following Jesus. He was fishing again. Peter's at his lowest point, And Jesus knows and knew exactly what he was doing when he called Peter to follow him in the first place. If you remember, at one point in, before Peter denies Jesus, Jesus says, "I have prayed for you, Peter, and after you fall, you are going to encourage the brothers." Peter know, or Jesus No knew exactly what Peter was going to go through when he called him to follow him. Jesus knew Peter would suffer and fail and even deny Jesus. And Jesus knew that Peter could use some comfort, some restoration, some encouragement. And so at their second meeting in Galilee, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to suffer for Christ's sake, that he's going to die for Jesus, in fact. And then at the very end, he says, follow me. He says the same thing. Peter, follow me. This is the same Jesus, who prays for you, who cares about you, who is equipping you when he calls you to follow him. He is walking with you. The call to follow Jesus is a calling and it's a promise from him. It's a call to follow our Messiah, to suffer as he has suffered. It's also a promise that Jesus will make you become his disciple that he will equip you and encourage you and walk with you through our failures, through our faithlessness, through, chi- through our trials and suffering, Jesus remains faithful. Jesus will never stop leading you and encouraging you and giving you what you need. So have no fear of demons or the spiritual world. Jesus has all authority Over that. Have no fear of sickness and death. We follow the one who has conquered death, who has come to eradicate sickness and eventually wipe away every source of sorrow and sadness in this world. Have no fear of what you lack, of failing, of losing faith. Just answer to the call to follow Jesus one day at a time. Follow me, Jesus says. He will lead the way. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you have called many of us to follow you here this morning. Each one of us has, unique, has a unique story, has unique sufferings, has a unique calling to follow you. And God, you have promised to not leave us once you have called us, but you are with us, helping us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for having authority and power. Thank you for showing us that so that we can be at peace and confident in your presence with us. Lord, thank you for uh, leading us here this morning. For those who don't know you, would you call them back to yourself? Would you lead them into the peace that only you can offer? Because you have authority over all things. God, we love you, and we thank you for Uh, your word, and we thank you for this opportunity to uh, enjoy your table, this bread and this cup. So prepare our hearts for that as we go to this now. Uh, We thank you again. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, prepare the Lord's table, uh, I'll ask you to stand and we'll sing verses 1 and 3 of Jesus Calls Us Hymn. uh, Sorry, hymn 591, verses 1 and 3 of hymn 591. Let's stand and sing. You may be seated. Hear the words of Institution from Luke chapter 22. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup When Jesus says and calls us to follow him, he promises to sustain us. And this table is one of the direct ways that God gives us to encourage us, to sustain us, uh, to convict us in our following him. This bread and juice, they testify to our hearts as we actually taste the bread and drink the juice that Jesus loves us that he died for us, that he gave himself up for us in our place to forgive our sin and lead us into a life that he is leading us in. So as you eat this bread and drink this cup, be humbled by the Holy Spirit that just as Jesus suffered, so will you. But just as Jesus was comforted and just as Jesus was sustained and encouraged, so will you be. Just as Jesus called Peter and equipped him along the way, he will do the same for you as you trust him by faith. This table is a way in which Jesus himself is caring for you. The kingdom of God is here, and Jesus has called us to follow him. And so I invite everyone who has trusted in Christ for their salvation and the forgiveness of their sin, for all of those who trust Jesus as their authority over all of life, to come and enjoy this table. If you're a member of this church and in good standing, uh, or you're a member of another church, I invite you to participate and enjoy this table. If you have not yet trusted in Christ, or you don't understand what this table signifies and seals and what it means, I would ask that you pass when the bread and the cup come by. Instead, you can take this time to write some notes down or some questions or even pray. And me or one of the elders would love to talk to you afterwards more about this. So if you trust in Christ, enjoy this table, and rest secure in his promise, would you please pray with me? God, you are... A good God, you are loving and gracious, and you show it to us in a million different ways. And in this particular way, with the Lord's table, uh, you have set this table before us to enjoy, to be encouraged by, uh, to sustain us and give us strength. Jesus, we thank you uh, for giving us this sign as it seals to us your promises. Lord, encourage our hearts through this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after he broke it, he gave thanks, and he gave it to his disciples, as I, ministering in his name, give this bread to you. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The elders will now distribute the bread, and after everyone's been served, we'll eat together as one body. The body of Christ broken for you. Let's eat together. In the same manner, Jesus took the cup, and having given thanks as we've done, he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many, For the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. The elders will once again pass out uh, the juice. Once everyone's been served, we'll drink together. and to purify for himself a people people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's drink together. Please pray with me. Lord, you have forgiven our sins, and you lead us now out into the world. Lord, would you give us your spirit in full measure this week as we trust you? Would you help us to uh, follow you? Would you help us to be encouraged? Uh, Would you go before us in all that we do? We thank you for this time, for this table. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand and we'll sing, um, to close our service, hymn 591 with just verse 5. Let's stand and sing hymn 591, verse 5. Receive the benediction and respond with your amen, and then once the service is over, if you're not part of the congregational meeting, you can head over and start eating lunch. If you're part of the meeting, we'll get started after a five-minute break. Hear God's blessing to you. Peace be to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen.